0: topic for tonight is uh, I call it principles of personal devotion and um, you know Brian kind of alluded to uh, my um, teaching on preparing a devotion so um, I've, you know I began I was thinking about this and uh, how to approach this and I was thinking about you know okay you know maybe I can show some what techniques on on personal Bible study, how to put together a lesson or devotion. But the more I prayed about this, uh, the more I was impressed by the fact that, um, you know, we are privileged to be part of of a church that presents its members with lots of opportunities to study God's word, Um, you know, things like that. I mean, we've got Discipleship 1, we've got Discipleship 2, we've got the Heartland Bible Institute, we've, you know, we've got how to disciple classes, we've got, I mean, we've got, uh, what, topical studies on Wednesday, we've got expository preaching on Sunday. I mean, there is so much that this church offers in regards to educating us on how to rightly divide the Word of God and and study the Word of God. And the more I prayed about this, and the more I meditated on this topic, the more and more I was impressed by the Lord, not so much to uh, talk about how to prepare a devotion, but how to be prepared to have a personal devotion. Okay, and that's that's what I'm going to... You know, instead of how to... I'm going to talk about why should I? Why should I even have personal devotion in my life? You know, as uh, in my walk with God, in my day, you know, why in the world would I even bother with that time of personal devotion? So, if you came to learn about some new technique, I, I apologize. I'm not going to do that. That's not that's not what I'm going to do. Uh, But uh, what I do is I want to approach the topic of personal uh, devotion as one would approach God's word personally, all right, as one would approach God's word personally, Uh, how it would benefit you personally. You know, I heard heard a preacher preach one time, he says, we can't feed others if you've never learned how to feed yourself. And that's what personal devotion is is all about, is learning how to, how to feed yourself, how to get something out of God's Word. And so, so we always got to have a text, right? There's always got to be a text that we have to use to, to base this off of. So my text tonight is 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. So go ahead and turn there, and we'll go ahead and read that. But I guarantee you we're going to be all over the place in the Bible. But this is just the, my springboard into the pool of God's truth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 1, Paul writes, Now, as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man think that he hath that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. Father in heaven, I come to you, Lord, and I am totally dependent upon you to help me communicate what it is that you communicated to me. I pray, Father in heaven, that what is shared tonight would be a benefit to these folks, and that, Lord God, they would be edified, that they would be educated, and, Lord God, that they would be encouraged. I pray, Father in heaven, that I would be able to present this in such a way that they would fall deeper in love with you and deeper in love with your word. We thank you and praise you for your son, Jesus Christ. Without him, life would be vain. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. You know, so often, God's people are busy uh, filling their heads with knowledge about all sorts of things, about God's word. Um, it's as if, uh, as though that the only pursuit to study one's Bible is to gain more information, more Uh, data, uh, more knowledge about God's word. And they they spend all that time filling their heads, but yet they leave their hearts empty. They leave their hearts empty. Um, I mean, there's going to be a lot of people who um, know a lot about the Bible, but they're going to go to hell because they don't know God. They don't know God. I mean, what good does it do to know, know the Bible if you don't know God personally? You know, if you don't know God personally. Those folks kind of li- uh, line up in the realm of 2 Timothy 3.7, uh, 3, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. they are always stuff in their head full of knowledge, full of data. So there's five things, five points or principles of personal devotion I hope that I have time to get through. But there's five things that I'd like to share with with you guys. And uh, these five principles, I hope, will help in your time of personal devotion. Uh, The first principle deals with, um, and if I misspell anything, please forgive me. The first thing talks about the attitude. The attitude for personal devotion. The heart attitude is key. Okay? Heart attitude is key in personal devotion. <laughs> Psalms 119, 38 says, Establish thy word unto thy servant who is devoted to thy fear. I want you to turn to that verse because I want you guys to look at it. Psalms 119.38 Establish thy word unto thy servant who is devoted to thy fear. When you look up the word devoted in the Bible, it speaks of those things that at one time was a personal possession of somebody. Okay? But that personal possession has now been surrendered to the Lord. Therefore, it's no longer there it's no longer theirs. In fact, when anybody from a free will offering would give devote something to the Lord, whether it is an animal or a piece of property, then they were forbidden to buy it back. They couldn't take it back once it was devoted to the Lord. In Leviticus 27:28 it says, "Notwithstanding no devoted thing that a man should devote unto the Lord of all that he hath" both of man and beast and of the field of his possession, shall be sold or redeemed. Every devoted thing is most holy unto the Lord. None devoted which shall be devoted of men shall be redeemed, but shall surely be put to death. In other words, once you give it to the Lord, it no longer belongs to you. It belongs to God. It belongs to God. So say if a man devoted a clean animal to the Lord... He couldn't buy it back if he changed his mind. Same thing with a field or anything else. So how does this relate to us as a New Testament believer in in relation to uh, personal devotion? You know, what's the connection there? Here's the connection. When you take that time out of your day, and you spend that time in God's word, that time now belongs to God. you understand? That time now belongs to God. You have taken that time, and you have devoted that time, consecrated that time, sanctified that time to the Lord. And you spend that time with him in his word. In other words, it's not like going to QT, buying a breakfast sandwich, taking a quick bite, and then off you go. No. You take the time, you sit down at the dinner table, and you partake of the bread with the Lord. Matthew 4.4, Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now, I've done this. I've gone and bought a breakfast sandwich at McDonald's, and I've wolfed it down. But don't have that attitude in regards to God's word. Okay? One of the things that my wife and I tell anyone that we disciple is, unless your heart is into this, chances are you'll get nothing out of it. Is that not true? If your heart's not into this, then chances are you're not going to get anything out of it. And the same thing is true in your personal devotion with the Lord. If if your heart is not in that time of personal devotion, you're you're not going to get anything out of it. You're not going to get anything out of it. Heart attitude is key. You know, when you sanctify or devote that time to the Lord, that is your special time between you and God. And you need to treat it that way. You need to treat it that way. That means that we don't adopt a flippant or hurried mindset. I better get my reading in. And then off I go to bigger and better things. We don't want to rush that time. We don't want to gulp it down like a cup of coffee out the door. We want to treat that time, a special time, a devoted time to the Lord. Let me tell you something. (laughs) Relationships are never established with a quick peck on the cheek and then out the door you go. Husbands, you understand what I'm saying? I don't know how many times, I, Diane, i got to go, I'm gone. Well, thanks a lot. Yeah. Don't treat the Lord that way. Communication is key in any relationship. In this time of personal devotion, what you're doing is, is you are giving God the time for him to speak to you through his word. Do you think he deserves that time? Sure he does. Again, look at Psalms 119.38. 119.38. Notice the word establish. The word establish means to confirm or to cause to stand on firm ground. We want to stand on good, solid ground, don't we? Sure we do. What we desire is firm footing as we walk by faith with the Lord throughout the day. Personal devotion time will provide you with that firm ground. It will provide you that, 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 that firm footing as you walk through your day. Another way to put this is found in 1 Peter 3.15. He says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man to ask you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Again, the word sanctify, the same thing as devoted. You hallow that time. You hallow that time. And a way we can accomplish this is, is, is having the right heart attitude. When we approach the Lord... In his word in that time. This is a special time for, for me and God to get together in his word. Something else about the hard attitude. Maybe some of you will relate to this. Be careful not to treat the word of God like it's a textbook. Okay? Don't treat the Word of God like it's a, it's a, it's a textbook or an owner's manual, <laughs> or a how-to YouTube video. All right? All you're doing well you know those things are good for obtaining information. All those things are, are good for obtaining information, uh, and you want to learn about you know, the new widget you purchase. But all it does is fill your head with information, you know? I know some folks who treat the Bible like a textbook. And they're as cold as a professor. Because there's no life. Oh, they can run circles around me and quoting verses and splitting hairs and but there's no life, no warmth, no compassion. They're all about wowing you with their information, you know, impressing you with what they know, or demeaning you according to what you don't know. I had a friend one time, incredibly bright man, In fact, he later on became uh, a um, professor here in central Missouri. He was that way. It was always like there was no fellowship with him. It was always like you were in competition with him. He missed it. He totally missed it. Returning back to 1 Corinthians 8.1, he says, Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. You see the balance there? I mean, God's people can learn an awful lot about the Bible, and they should. They should. It's important for God's people to, to know what the Bible says about our faith. It's important that we... Know what God's you know, mission is for the church. It's important that we we know all of this information, but to know all this information without coming to a knowledge of God, you're cutting yourself short. You're cutting yourself off. Psalms one nineteen, one thirteen says, I hate vain thoughts but thy law do I love. You know, the knowledge for knowledge's sake that puffs up or makes one conceited or worse, indifference. You know, they've missed the boat as far as God's word is concerned. That kind of person, they, they deal in what God calls vain thoughts. Vain thoughts. God wants his people to be living epistles, not stone tablets with his word etched on their hard hearts, right? Now this word translated vain thoughts in Psalms one hundred nineteen, one hundred thirteen. When you think of vain, what do you think of? Empty, of no value, worthless, that type of thing. When I look this phrase up, vain thoughts, um, it doesn't mean that. I thought it was kind of interesting. I thought it was very insightful what this word vain thoughts. It comes from a root word that means to uh, lop off the top. Like you do with a tree or or a bush or a flower. Lop off the top. A good cross-reference for this is found in Isaiah 10.33. Behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, shall lop the bow with terror. Or the bow. That would be the bow, wouldn't it? Like a branch. And the high ones of stature shall be hewn down, and the haughty shall be humbled. See, the passage here in Isaiah is addressing the haughty and the prideful. And God says, I'm going to cut them down to size. That's what he's saying. I'm going to lop off the top of these haughty ones. Those who are are haughty and prideful concerning their knowledge in God's word, they can be divisive sometimes because they want to argue to prove themselves right. How is that edifying anybody? They can be troublesome. They can be troublesome in a church thinking that their way is the only way. And they can also be very, very cold. I don't know. Has anybody ever ran into anybody like that? No, not at all? Okay. Hey, stick around. You know, in my neighborhood, we have a lot of mature trees. And these trees grow into the power lines. So the power company hires the, these uh, tree services, and they come and they, they cut out the, these branches out of the power lines. And I understand why they do that, you know, that's to minimize power outages in case there's a storm so a branch don't take out a power line. Uh, And so, but what happens is they really butcher some of these trees, don't they? I mean, they do. They they, they really butcher some of these trees, and, and these trees, they lose their symmetry, and they lose their beauty for the sake of practicality. Now, please understand, I'm not against obtaining information about the Bible. But what I am trying to say to you as far as a hard attitude is concerned in your personal devotion, in your pursuit of knowledge, don't fail to pursue after God as well. Because if you, if you fail to pursue after God, you lose your love for God and His Word and your love for others, you'll become like one of those trees. You'll lose that beautiful symmetry that Jesus Christ wants to create in us. So be careful. Be careful. You know, I would love to have it said to me, instead of someone saying, boy, he knows a lot about Jesus, I'd much rather have somebody say, that man's been with Jesus, you see what i'm saying? The pursuit of knowledge for knowledge's sake is is when knowledge can prove vain. It can prove useless to yourself it can prove useless to others. it can even become offensive, and we don't want we don't want to be offensive. puffed up disciples can often be. Offensive. Going back to Psalms 119.38. Establish thy word unto thy servant who is devoted to thy fear. We can see two things here in this verse in in regards to our time of personal devotion with the Lord. The first is thy servant. Thy servant. This is an attitude of humility and dependence. Not independence but humility and dependence. This is contrary to the boaster and the prideful, the Uh, know-it-all. This is someone who knows they don't know it all, right? The servant. Let's try this word, the disciple. The disciple. You know what makes a good disciple? A teachable spirit a teachable spirit. When you lose that teachable spirit, it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. And the second thing is, who is devoted to thy fear. Thy fear, that's an Old Testament way of saying one's love and esteem for God. You see, when you start uh, uh, treating the Bible like it's a textbook, that's what's going to happen. You're going to love your esteem for God's word. You're going to, lo- you're going to lose that love for God's word and, hi- and Himself. So, if we approach the Word of God in humility of a disciple and we approach the Word of God respecting His word for what it is, that's a great benefit. Again, hard attitude. When you love someone, right, you cherish that time with them. I remember when I was first, I don't want to say the word dating because now, nowadays it's got a different, I'm just going to use it anyway. When I was first dating my wife, Diane, before we got married, I called her on the phone all the time. I wanted to be around her all the time. That's the same kind of hard attitude we have in our time with God. We want to be with Him. We want to be with Him. So that's the attitude. Let me make sure I get this one right. Get myself out of whack here. Now let's talk about the purpose of personal devotion. Now understand when when I'm saying personal devotion I'm talking about when you are with God at that time in His Word. Okay? It's you and God. And so the purpose of personal devotion is this. Worship. Worship. Again, Psalms 119.38. Establish thy word unto thy servant who is devoted to thy Fear. that's worship that's worship the word worship occurs some 102 times in the Bible now if God puts that word in there that many times what does that tell you Yeah, that's pretty important isn't it pretty important mankind is a creature that is prone to worship he just is that trait to worship is ingrained in man it's just there archaeologists and what are the fo- anthropologists are those the guys that study yeah archaeologists and anthropologists they've discovered this about man in every society every culture every village every ancient whatever they've dug up they've seen one, they've seen at least two things one They worship something higher than themselves. And two, there is a belief in an afterlife. Without fail. Even those who deny that there's a living God, guess what? They worship something. Whether it's their intellect or whether it's their science or themselves or... You know, my wife likes to watch American Idol, right? Look at the way some of these athletes are treated. People worship athletes because it's in us. It's ingrained in man to worship something or someone. The problem is, is that the majority of mankind don't like to retain God in their knowledge, And therefore, they prefer to change the glory of the uncorrupted God into a perversion of their own whatever they like to worship. That's what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1. They didn't like to retain God in their knowledge, so they created their own God. Something they were comfortable with. So when we set this time aside... Attitude. That's the time we use to worship the Lord. Again, preparing. Principles of personal devotion. Psalms 29.1 Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. So when you're in that time that you've devoted to the Lord, that's your opportunity to worship. To worship. Psalms 96.6 Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Give unto the Lord glory due to his name. When you are there in that time of personal devotion and you're before God and you've got his word before you, that is a wonderful opportunity to get this heart attitude right through worshiping him. Now in the Old Testament, when they would worship, they would always worship by presenting an offering before the altar. Before the altar. Mankind has been offering something to God since Abel and Cain. It's just the problem is that some men offer to God with the right heart and some offer to God with the wrong heart. In our day, we don't offer animal sacrifices in worship, and I'm glad because I don't know if I have the heart. to do that my wife says I pamper my chickens, and I do if I could knit sweaters and put sweaters on them I would yes she can but she won't I've asked her but we can present an offering that is acceptable to the Lord in our our time Hebrews 13 15 says by him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name you know when you're there just you and God and his word you can give thanks to him you can praise him you can worship him you know one of the things that I've done on many occasions during my time of personal devotion is that I'll grab an old hymnal and I've got several old hymnals that I've either uh, bought out of flea markets or I even pulled out of trash cans out of churches. And I'll open up the hymn and I'll either sing a hymn or I'll read the words. Have have you ever read the words of some of these old hymns? Let me share one that I read the other day. Glorious is Thy Name is the title by B.B. McKinney. Born 1886, died 1952. Listen to these words Blessed Savior, we adore thee. We thy love and grace proclaim. Thou art mighty, thou art holy, glorious is thy matchless name. Great Redeemer, Lord and Master, light of all eternal days, let the saints of every nation sing thy just and endless praise. From the throne of heaven's glory to the cross of sin and shame, Thou didst come to die a ransom guilty sinners to reclaim. Come, O come, immortal Savior, come and take thy royal throne. Come and reign and reign forever. Be the kingdom all thy own. That'll preach. That'll preach. That's solid doctrine. You know, when I read words like that, it's like the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. My heart burns within me because it ministers to me and it, it, and it motivates me to worship the one who bought me, who redeemed me. You know, the book of Psalms is filled with praise psalms. Psalms 47, praise it, it prays to God, the ruler of the earth. Psalms 92 Praise to the Lord for his love and faithfulness. Psalms 100, a song of praise for the Lord's faithfulness to his people. Psalms 103 is a a psalm of praise for the Lord's mercy. Psalms 113, the praise of the majesty of God. Psalms 144, a song to the Lord who preserves and prospers his people. And Psalms 50 simply says, let all creation praise the Lord. Time of worship. Another sacrifice found in the New Testament is Romans 12, chapter 1, verses 2. And I bet some of you could probably quote that verse. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Not long ago, I had a conversation with... um, I'm going to say it, my very best friend, who uh, has stage four pancreatic cancer, and he's, he's not long for this life. And I was talking to him, and he said to me, Brother Jeff, he says, um, I am determined to, wa- to worship the Lord every day. And he said, Brother Jeff, we don't need to look around us to find reasons to worship God. He says, we have the reason dwelling within us in the person of Jesus Christ. That's deep. That's that's, that's just deep. Do you have Jesus Christ in your life? Is he alive in your heart? And you have reason to worship God. A.W. Tozer said, when a person yielding to God and believing the truth of God is filled with, a pure, with the Spirit of God, even his faintest whisper will be worship." Are you aware of the presence of Christ in your life? That's cause of worship. That's cause of worship. You know, in, in your personal devotions with Romans 12, 1 and 2 in mind, Pray that God would show you how you may be able to worship Him by offering your day as a living sacrifice to Him. Your day, right? Sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. Let's just worry about today, not tomorrow, not yesterday today let's worship God today how can I offer myself to you today Romans chapter 1 verses 14 to 15 says I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians both to the wise and to the unwise so as much as in me is I'm ready to preach the gospel to you there at Rome also I read an old-time preacher uh, sermon. And he was preaching on this verse, and he said this. He says, when we are married unto Christ as his bride, we have married into a debt of love. And I know couples who have married into debt. (laughs) Right? Either one spouse or the other have their credit cards maxed out. But when we are married into Christ, we are married into a debt of love. The debt of love that God has redeemed us by. We are debtors to this love and the only means to pay on this debt is to tell others of the love of Jesus. That's how we can offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. Simply sharing the love story of Jesus Christ. So that's the attitude and that's the purpose worship Okay, now the means. The means. Oops, let's make that an S. The means of personal devotion. Turn to Psalms chapter 1. Psalms chapter 1. And when somebody gets to Psalms chapter 1, raise your hand because I'm going to make you read it. All right, we got some brave souls. Go ahead, Jesse. Okay, you can stop right there. I don't know, again, I don't know where, I read a lot of stuff. I don't remember half the time where I read it or pick up on it, but I read one, one uh, comment about this um, passage here. And this person said, the tree of my spiritual life thrives best with meditation because it helps me absorb the water of God's word. I thought that was pretty good. I thought that was pretty good. Now, don't get all spooky and weirded out on the word meditation. Okay? I know there's a lot of funny business out there, a lot of goofy stuff about meditation. It all sounds mystical and magical and and otherworldly. In fact, that's the world's view on meditation, uh, to contemplate one's navel and empty out one's mind. Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool hath no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. You know, the devil loves to hang out with empty-headed people. Because that way he can fill, his, fill your mind with all sorts of foolishness. But as, for me, I'm a simple guy. And um, meditation is simply putting your roots down into the soil and the water of God's word. And the way I understand meditation, I utilize three words. Three words, and I don't know if I've got room for me, but these three, three words that help me is, att- is attention, intention, and application. Attention, intention, and application. That helps me grasp meditation. Attention. What is attention? Very simple. You pay attention to what it is you're reading. Boy, that's, uh, that's rocket science right there, isn't it? No, you pay attention to what you're reading. And you don't allow your mind to wander. You pay attention to what you're reading. This goes back to the first point about devoting that time to the Lord, remember? That's you and His time together. So while you're with Him, you better pay attention. If you want Him to speak to you, then you need to pay attention to what He's saying to you through His Word. Pay attention. I worked with a wonderful gal... When I used used to work for a living, now I'm just a freeloader. Yeah, slacker. But, I mean, she was. She was a hard worker. And one day I asked her to do something concerning the task that we were doing on a packaging line. And I went to this gal and I said, Ida, would you mind? And boom, she was gone. And she was just working away. And I said, Ida, Ida, come back here. I didn't tell you what I needed for you to do. You see what I'm saying? She got in a big rush. She took off assuming, without really hearing, what I needed for her to do. And that's the approach that a lot of God's people have towards God's word. We all have busy lives. We all have distractions. And we all have assumptions. We all have assumptions. And these assumptions sometimes cloud over or obscure what God is really trying to say to you. But pay attention to the words. Pay attention to what you're reading. This is why it's so important that you purposely set aside that time, and if possible, have a place where you and God and his word can meet together. Now, I live in a busy household. In fact, I've threatened to put a revolving door on our, our house at times. And I can remember a time, in order for me to, to find some place private, and I hope I don't offend anybody, I locked myself in the bathroom at times. Right? I mean, out of all the rooms in the house, that's the one room you were almost guaranteed some privacy. Almost. If you have five kids, that's not always true. Turn to First Kings chapter 19. We all know this story about Elijah in the cave. First Kings 19, starting in verse 9. I'll go ahead and read it. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go forth and stand upon the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by in a great and strong wind, and rent the mountains, and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire a what? Still small voice. You see, like Elijah, we need to hear that still small voice. That's why we need to get away from the noise and the bustle and the distractions so that we can pay attention to what it is that God is saying to us. Does that makes sense? And then intention. Attention and intention. You know, we're an entertainment junkie society. We view things for the sake of entertainment. If it doesn't hold our attention, if it doesn't entertain us, then we, we no longer watch it. There's no intention in watching it, is there? Sadly, many have the same attitude towards God's word. It isn't uh, entertaining. It's boring. I don't like to read. And so goes the intention of spending any time with it. When you spend personal time with God, be intentional. Not only pay attention, but be intentional. And as you read it, you ask yourself, what am I going to do with what I'm reading here? What is it, Lord, that you want me to uh, put into my life? What is it, Lord, that you want me to correct? What, what is it, Lord, that you want me to... You see what I'm saying? You're being intentional about what you're reading. That's part of meditation. Not only are you paying attention to the Word, but you're also being intentional with the Word. How can I... What is this? You're asking those questions. You're seeking the mind of the Lord in this thing. You're seeking the mind of the Lord in this thing. When you begin to think in this way, then the Lord will bring to your mind those things that He wants you to see. This takes that time of a personal devotion out of the realm of just gathering facts and filling your already overcrowded head with stuff, right? And it's making, it's making your relationship with God intentional. Now think about this, guys. Do you walk through your day conscious of God? Or does stuff kind of push God out of the, out of your mind? Is he not there? Does he not live within you? That's, that's, that's the intentional part that I'm talking about. You're walking with the Lord. And when you're intentional in reading his word, you take him along with you. You understand what I'm trying to say? 1 Peter 3.15, again, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That's intentional. I I don't know how many times I've had people come to me on, on the job site with a Bible question. Right? Jeff, what does the Bible say about this? Jeff, what does the Bible say about that? And the, the, these are folks who don't go to church, but they want to know what the Bible has to say. Are you ready? Are you intentional? No pressure here. You don't need to be the Bible answer guy, the Bible answer gal. But when, when you pay attention and you are intentional with God's word, guess what? <laughs> You're storing up that hope that people need to hear. That's being intentional. And then the application. Application is you're taking the words of truth off the page of the Bible and you're putting it in action in your life. That's application. You're taking the words from God's Bible and you're putting them in action into your life. Pray in that time of personal devotion that God would show you how you can apply His truth. Make His truth a reality in your life. Again, attention, intention, application. That's meditation. That's meditation. The godly man or woman here in this psalm uh, desires... To be established in the faith, be motivated by the faith in order to encourage others in the faith. Attention, intention, application. So you got the attitude of personal devotion, the purpose of personal devotion, the means of personal devotion, and the intention. A personal devotion, which means, whoops, ah, I'm going to mess this one up, I know. Is it two L's? C-C-E-S-S? Again, if I misspell anything, I apologize. Spiritually Successful. To be spiritually successful. That's the intention of personal devotion. Psalms 119 125 says, I am thy servant, give me understanding, that I may know thy testimonies. It is time for thee, O Lord, to work, for they have made void thy law. Therefore I love thy commandments above gold, yea, above fine gold. Now I refer to this particular passage because what is it that the psalmist is comparing God's word to? Fine gold, precious metal. Find gold. Now, if somebody's sitting on a pile of gold, what would we say of that man? He's rich, right? He's prosperous. He's rich, he's prosperous. In a material sense, yes, but God is more concerned about our spiritual success. He wants us to be rich toward him. Rich toward him. Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, there's that word, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then shalt thou make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. This is the only place in your English Bible that you're going to find the word success. Joshua 1.8, the intention of personal devotion is to, be, is to be spiritually successful. Like the prospector. I mean, yeah, you can walk around and you can find nuggets laying on the ground, maybe. But where is it really found? you got to dig for it. Same thing with God's Word. When you spend that time in, in God's Word with the right heart attitude, worshiping God with attention, intention, application then you're digging for those nuggets. You're digging for those nuggets. John 6.68 calls them the words of eternal life. In Christian circles today, this concept of prosperity has been perverted. They preach these passages in the scripture and they apply them to being materially prosperous. Teaching that God promises to prosper a person who gives to my ministry or buys my book or attends my church. I'm not saying that God won't prosper us materially, but you know, sometimes he doesn't. I mean Jesus didn't even have a place to lay his head. This these folks belong belong to the Build Bigger Barns denomination. What happened to that fella? Didn't work out too well, did it? Now this is this is what Jesus says, Matthew six nineteen lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt. Where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Right? Where is your heart? Where is your heart? I mentioned that the English word success is only found here. But if you guys are familiar with, I like to go to my Strong's Concordance. And I like to look up other places because there's that little part in Strong's where you can go and you can follow the numbers. And Well, there's other places that that this particular word has been translated, not so much success, differently. For instance, in 1 Samuel 18.14 and David behaved himself wisely in all his ways. That phrase, behaved himself wisely is the very same word as success. I'm telling you folks, we need to learn how to behave ourselves wisely in this world. That's the equivalent of Ephesians 5.15. See then that ye walk circumspectly. Eyes wide open, head on a swivel, not as fools, but as wise. Colossians 4.5. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that, you know, that ye may know how to answer every man. So when you spend that time in personal devotion with the right heart attitude, worshiping God, paying attention with intention application, People are going to say, what is different about you? Because they're going to see that spiritual success going on. You know, a good study is uh, go to the book of Proverbs and um, read what Proverbs has to say about the mouth and the lips and the tongue. You'll learn a lot. You see what gets me in trouble most of the time? Is that big gap underneath my nose. I have a tendency to speak before I think. When you go to God's word and you pay attention and you're intentional and you apply, then that problem gets fixed. It gets fixed. Colossians tells us to have our speech always with grace seasoned with salt. Grace displays our concern. Well, salt provides them with the words they need to hear to save them from eternal damnation. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we spoke with words of grace and salt? I read a biography of a local evangelist here in Kansas City. And he desired God's power in his life to reach the lost. So one time in his personal devotional time with, with, with the Lord, he prayed this prayer. He said, God, show me in your word what I need to know for your truth and your power to work in me and through me for your glory and the ultimate good of others. That's a good prayer. That's a challenging prayer. Well, this man became uh, an evangelist and he won thousands to the Lord. This man owned a tent-making factory. He made tents for a living. Sound familiar? And the fruit of this man is right there in Belton, Missouri. Calvary Bible College. Spiritual success. And then, the last point, and I'm going to be able to squeeze it in, I think, the aim. The aim of your time of personal devotion with the Lord. What would that be? To learn... That's not right, is it? That's how, the Os- how they spell it in the Ozarks. To learn how... Oh my goodness. How to love God. To learn how to love God. Does that sound strange? to learn how to love God. First Corinthians 8.3, we come full circle, but if any man love God, the same is known of him. If any man love God, the same is known of him. You know, a, a preacher once uh, preached in order to combat worldly contagion that has infected the church today, Uh, to be clear of that Laodicean spirit, he said we must be studied up, prayed up, cleaned up, and stirred up. Studied up, prayed up, cleaned up, and stirred up. In our time of personal devotion, that we sanctify to the Lord, that time of worship, that time of attention, intention, application, that time of seeking to become spiritually successful. We want to have the heart of a Mary, the sister of Martha. You understand what I'm saying? We want to have the heart of a Mary who sat at Jesus' feet who spilled that box of precious ointment upon him. Psalms 119:97 says, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. When we come away from our time of personal devotion, we should be that much more in love with our Savior. If you're seeking a recommendation on a book, Uh, To begin a habit of personal devotion, let me recommend you a a book that I've read I don't know how many times. And it's cheap. It's a cheap book. And chances are you probably own it. Book of Psalms. Book of Psalms. In fact, I would recommend you start with Psalms 119. Pay attention. Be intentional and apply it. Psalms 119 is like Psalms 8 3. You can read the meditations of a man who is in love with his God and in love with God's word. Philippians 1 9 says, In this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. I can. Re- <laughs> I can remember back in junior high, there was a girl that I was just crazy about. I thought this girl was the most beautiful girl I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I absolutely swooned all over this girl. And I honestly believe that I loved, 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 loved this girl. And so one day I got the courage to talk to her. ever done that? Uh, Boy, was I ever wrong about her. Because when I started talking to this girl, she was the meanest, most foul-mouthed person I've ever met in my life at that time. You see, that's the kind of love that many of God's people have with Jesus. It's more of an infatuation than a mature knowledgeable love. See what I'm saying? It's more of an infatuation with Jesus. It's more of an infatuation of Jesus um, fueled by, uh, and I know I'm going to step on somebody's toes, by insipid contemporary Christian music and shallow self-centered Bible preaching. There's no depth. There's no depth. There's no real knowledge of the real Jesus. There's not a mature understanding. Love grows through knowledge. Love grows through knowledge. The more we learn about God, through time spent in his word, trusting in the Lord, being obedient to his word, involved in his mission, the more we learn how to love God. The more we learn how to love God. Let me tell you something. You get yourself involved in ministry, you start dealing with other human beings, and you're going to learn how to love God really quick. love grows through knowledge John 15:9 says the father hath loved me so have i loved you continue ye in my love how do we continue in god's love i thought god always loved me how do i continue in god's love verse 10 if ye keep my commandments ye shall abide in my love even as have i kept my father's commandments and abide in his love We learn how to love God through our obedience to God. That's the attention and intention and application aspect of our personal devotion. That involves our worship. That involves a right heart attitude when we get with God and His Word. We best show our love to God when we obey the Father. John 14.15, if you love me, then do whatever you want. Not what it says. If you love me, keep my commandments. A prerequisite of growth in our relationship with the Lord is knowledge rightly applied. Knowledge rightly applied. 2 Peter 3.17 um, through 18 says, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We grow in grace the more we know Jesus Christ. Now, you probably have heard the old theologian's uh, definition of grace, right? Uh, Definition of grace is is the undeserved favor uh, of God upon an undeserving people. Right? Well, grace is much more than that. Grace is much more than that. Grace is the basis for our Christian identity, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, 1 Corinthians 15.10. Grace is the basis for our standing before God by faith into this grace wherein we stand. Romans 5.2 Grace is the basis for our behavior. But by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you word. Grace is the basis for our means of living righteously. For sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under the law, but under grace. Romans 6.14 Grace is the basis of our holy calling. Callings, 2 Timothy 1.9 who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. Grace is also the basis of our strength for living. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses one to 3 Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Grace is God's grace is the basis of our hearts being established. Rome, Hebrews 3, thirteen nine, be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats which not which have not profit them that have been occupied therein. God's grace is also the basis of our way of speaking. I, I quoted this verse, Colossians four six, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with the salt, that you may be able to an- that you may know how to answer ought to answer every man, my tongue's getting in the way. Grace is also the basis for our service to one another and God, first peter four ten as every man hath received the gift, even so ministers the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, and I can go on and on and on about god's grace in our life. so not only is it God's favor on those who don't deserve God's favor but it's also God's power and influence at work in our life. That's grace. That's grace. That's what we want. And by God's grace, we can learn how to love God. Now, let me close with this. I've got seven minutes, so I should be able to do it. Let me share with you my uh, devotion for today. Okay? Uh, In my reading, I'm reading, I just happen to be reading about David. And during my reading um, on David... I came across a cross-reference of Psalms chapter 18. Look at Psalms chapter 18 with me. And um, Psalms chapter 18 is, there's a superscription in my Bible that, I don't know if it's in your Bible, but there's a superscription in my Bible in Psalms 18 that informs me that David composed this psalm, worshiping and thanking God for God delivering David out of the hand of all of his enemies. Now, I don't know if you have that in your Bible or not. Mine has it there. But that's beside the point. Uh, Look at verse 24. Psalms 18, verse 24. Therefore hath the Lord recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his eyesight. See, David was accused of a lot of things by Saul. But none of those things were true. So that's what he's talking about here. He says, with the merciful, notice what he's saying here. With the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. Merciful with an upright man, thou shalt show thyself upright. With the pure, thou thou wilt show thyself pure. With the forward, thou wilt show thyself forward. Heart is the key. You see that? For thou wilt save the afflicted people, but wilt bring down high looks. For thou wilt light my candle. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. For by thee I have run through a troop, and by my God have I leaped over a wall. Verse 30 is what I want you to see. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in him. The verse that stuck out for me was verse 30. The word tried means proven, tested and proven. This reminded me of when David was preparing to face Goliath. Right? This, this psalm is about David, uh, God delivering David from, from the hand of all of his enemies. And so David was brought to Saul. And what did Saul give to David to go fight Goliath in? Saul's armor, right? You remember that story? So David put all the armor on and he says, I can't can't go out and face a giant in this armor. He says, I haven't proved them. That's what he said in, in 1 Samuel 17, in verse 39, he says, I have not proved them. I I don't know what I'm doing in this stuff. In verse 40, 1 Samuel 17, he says, And he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even a scrip, and a sling was in his hand, and he drew near the Philistine. See, David couldn't face Goliath with Saul's armor because he didn't know how to work it. He was uncomfortable. It felt awkward to him. He never fought in a soldier's attire. found it cumbersome and awkward. David went with what he had proven in battle. Now what was it that he went with? That's probably a trick question. I want to sling. Yeah, you're right. I should have rephrased the question. Who did he go to battle with? That's the key. First Samuel 17:45, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. That's who was proven. That's who was tested. That's who he was trusting in. if he was so confident in that sling and that stone, wouldn't only one stone do the job? And here's the value of personal devotion. Ephesians 6 informs us that we have a spiritual armor that has been tested, tried, and proven. But have you tested tried and proven, that spiritual armor. See, when you spend that time with God and his word, that's when you start trying that stuff and testing that stuff and finding that, yeah, I can trust in this stuff. David also had a script, a shepherd's bag, that he placed these stones in. You know what else that that script was used for? Do you remember? Maybe I'm dating myself. When I used to go to school in elementary school, I used to have a little tin pail, a lunch pail, that had those thermoses with the glass jar. I mean, as soon as you dropped your your lunch you knew you know that the thermos bottle was was a goner. He carried his lunch in that script. He carried his lunch in that script. You see, when we spend time in personal devotion with the Lord, with the right art attitude, worshiping God, with the attention, intention, application, spiritual success, and learning how to, how, how to love God. When we spend that time, we learn that we can trust in God and so forth and so on. When you have a verse like this, you put it in your script as you walk through your day because you're going to meet with a Goliath. Pull that stone out of there. Or you're going to become faint because you're dealing with the world. Pull your lunch out of that script. You take that verse that God has given you for that day, and you use it, and you feed yourself from it. You see what I'm trying to say to you? And as you do so, then you learn how to love God as he proves himself faithful. As he proves himself faithful. So the attitude for for, for personal devotion, heart attitude is key. The purpose of personal devotion, to worship God. The means of personal devotion, application, intention, and intention. I got that backwards. The intention of personal devotion to be spiritually successful. And then finally, the aim of personal devotion, to learn how to love God. Amen? Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this-